Welcome to Second Acts. I'm Linwood Lawton. Glad you could join us today on this third day of the easing of the COVID-19 restrictions here in New Jersey. Parker Enix Ross is joining us today to talk about Spike Lee's latest movie, The Five Bloods. Hello, Parker, and thanks for joining me. Hello. It's good to be here. So before we talk about The Five Bloods, uh, how are you doing these days? What are you up to? How is that uh, script writing project going? It's going well. It's um, you're in. You realize going through, and I'm what I'm doing is writing a pilot episode. I'm doing a an hour long kind of formatted pilot, and so what that translates to is about fifty pages. And so I am at about about 20 some of them are more fleshed out pages than others it's really like 18 solid pages worth of story so that's uh the teaser which is or the tag is the technical term which is about the four minutes kind of before opening credits and then the first act and now i'm in the middle of the second act i also have because i've found it's easier an easier way of dealing with writer's block is instead of being writing the story sequentially and then sticking to that um, is if you have an idea for something that has to happen to the third act or something that has to happen at the end and that is a more concrete idea writing that out and then so writing it out which is why i say it's 20 pages total but 18 pages of the sequential story and then some stuff i've tagged on in the end just because I have the idea for this. It's clear. I can just work to that. What's your plan for getting it out there, for it getting to be made into a pilot and eventually into, I guess it would be a movie or a TV series? So it it would be the pilot for a show. And what I intend to do is there is a, a website that does regular screenwriting contests over on through the script lab and screencraft.org which are screenwriting resources that provide regular contests and they provide screenwriting resources so a lot of things on formatting how to write certain scenes action scenes uh, drama screens how do you format character introductions they're very specific things that make a script more appealing to writers producers things that show you know how the process is supposed to go, how scripts are supposed to be constructed. And uh, I intend to enter one of these contests and get professional feedback to see where I stand as an author, where, uh, what things I need to work on, what things I need to tweak. And through that, because these contests are judged by professionals, uh, it would get professionalized on a script and someone who may be in a position to reach out and say this is a good idea this is get picked up or continue to flourish and develop an idea is that method how a majority of the things that we are seeing particularly on say netflix or the series that we're seeing on tv hbo or um, any of the cable outlets or even broadcast tv is what you just described do you think that that's how most um, of these things or most of these shows are being made I would think that's more the case for cable networks because they have writers' rooms of so many writers and they can get 
people and ideas, um, and it may be more for independent films through feature, but ScreenCraft has people who have gone on to, excuse me, win contests and get things into some sort of production and get, they offer grants and screenwriting fellowships and uh, it is certainly an avenue, but screen writing is so so much of a collaborative and complicated process. But this is one of the more uh, kind of the more beneficial avenues because you, no matter what, you can get quality feedback from a professional and have an idea and a sense and more easily kind of uh, tailor your writing to what you know the industry standard is. So, Parker, if you had your choice going forward, looking at you're on the cusp of your career, you're you're developing uh, material, you're in school, in graduate school, but going forward, have, do you have an idea of whether or not you want to be a writer-director in the manner of Spike Lee or, say, uh, Guy Ritchie, or do you think you'd be more comfortable actually writing some material and then handing it off to a director to bring it to life? I think where I would be most comfortable is primarily writing and then eventually getting to a stage where I direct my own things, but writing and handing off to a director. Or best case scenario, something like a showrunner, where you can benefit for people who may have much more of an eye for directing than than I do, and that can bring a better vision, a better sense of what the script needs visually um, the way you write, you have to write for the screen, so I know how I picture a thing, but someone might have a different idea, a different vision, a different take, and that may benefit the script to a much larger extent. Um, I think when you write something, you get personally attached to it uh, because it takes so much time. You invest so much time and energy, and even writing the things I write now, it's such a long process of constantly writing, rewriting, taking scenes that you were attached to out, reworking, and then to go and direct it, you're almost too familiar with the material, and it becomes very hard to uh, admit to yourself that something may or may not work. Um, And I think being able to just write something and giving it to a director and having a separate person kind of look at it and go, okay, I see these scenes, you know what, I'm going to move these order around, I'm going to shoot this this way, and it may have been different than I envisioned it, but that may ultimately be best. And I think that's kind of the benefit of these shows you see, like Breaking Bad, you get a wealth of talent. So Vince Gilliam shot some things, but Ozymandias, the, the kind of the penultimate episode of the series, widely regarded as one of the best in the in the show, was not directed by him. It was directed by Ryan Johnson, who audiences may remember, then went on to direct Looper and Knives Out and kind of this. So you benefited from having a really talented director uh, take on your vision. And I think because film is so collaborative and that's the element I enjoy most of it is talking with other people who are as passionate as you are and you all kind of know the mechanics and you know broadly what film is but people have different specialties and I have no problem conceding to someone to a director who has studied the cinematography and the 
the style and the talent for that long and saying, you know what, you clearly have a better grasp on that element in that style. Take this and kind of do what you want and have at it. That's actually a perfect lead in for um, for Defy Bloods. Spike Lee's uh, latest film, it was just released on Netflix. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, describe it for us, but, uh, well, first, let's do this. Why don't you tell us who's in it? So, Defy Bloods is uh, an ensemble kind of war movie. It's got uh, Delroy Lindo and uh, Chadwick Boseman are kind of the two prominent actors. I think audiences will definitely recognize, of course, Chadwick Boseman has been in um, Black Panther and he, 42 is kind of very, very popular. And then, um, you know, and Delroy Lindo is always one of these actors who you notice from a lot of different things. Um, and he's, for lack of a better word, he's kind of the film's protagonist. And it centers on uh, four black Vietnam veterans who on a mission had encountered some CIA gold that were supposed to pay off some rebels in Vietnam and they had decided now nah, we'll just keep it because it had been the plane had been chalked up as lost so they said you know what we're just gonna keep the gold say the plane shot down and they the enemy took the gold and we'll come back for it and so they've come back now in the modern day to kind of retrieve their gold and the body of their dead commanding officer, who is the Chadwick Boseman character. And so they want to bring him home. Why do you think Spike wanted to tell this particular story at this particular time? So I think what would have drawn Spike to this was the opportunity to kind of reframe Vietnam from the perspective of the black men who fought in it and the throughout the movie there's these there are these quotes and snippets from speeches from MLK and Malcolm X in fact the movie opens with a fantastic montage uh, that includes quotes from Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X talking about well why should African Americans be expected to fight in a country and fight for freedom and then not receive it here and how would the kind of the anger and the, the resentment that black soldiers specifically would have in, for, in fighting for a country that then you turn around and especially given now, and of course this movie was shot before the events of George Floyd and these protests, but these kinds of things have always been simmering and they've always been prevalent in spike obviously director of do the right thing has kind of always been culturally aware of the kind of uh intensity and hurt and anger that black people have and the complicated relationship they have with their country so i think this is it was perhaps a coincidence it dropped you know in the midst of all this but this has kind of always been the feelings have always been there, and uh, I I think he was moved to do this just because of the, the unique opportunities it would provide. What were the things you really liked? What did you think in this film worked real well, and what do you think didn't work so well? What I think worked the best was Delroy Lindo's character. Now, I also have some issues with the character and how he is 
kind of framed and utilized in the story, but he plays uh, Soldier Paul, and Paul clearly has signs of PTSD, and he clearly has, he's not handling it well. He refuses to kind of get treatment, refuses to talk to anybody. Uh, he There's a character who pulls him aside and says, like, you got to talk to someone because I go to them to the VA and I talk to somebody, and he's like, I'm not doing that. And it's um, it's just it's very well handled in the depictions of the the nightmares. The they all have um, an adverse reaction to fireworks. They all, but the the emotional trauma, the hurt, the disconnect that being a survivor of the traumatic experiences they were. Um, so he he sells that phenomenally, and I think. Um, it's hard to say how the Oscars will work out and like what is going to get cast, but he should be on the short list for, uh, I don't know how they would categorize it between best actor and best supporting actor, but he should be on someone's best of list. I also like how the flashbacks are done. It is, um, just a very interesting technique. When they flash back to the war, they specifically crop the aspect ratio. So they go to the four by three, so the screen goes from widescreen to kind of shrinks down. The footage is tinted to be more of that era. And what I thought was an interesting way of getting around casting, they just take the current modern day actors, so the older actors, and put them in scenes that are in the past and just act as if they were there. So it's Delroy Lindo as, you know, the older character Paul, just back in the past next to Chadwick Boseman, the young Chadwick Boseman. Uh, and I just thought that was very interesting, but also delves into the the trauma and the fact that like the, a theme, a constant theme is war does not leave you. Like you leave the place, but the events, the the scars, you are physically still there. And I thought that was a very good way of conveying that. So, what what do you think didn't work so well, or or were the aspects of the film that? Um that you didn't like? I think some of the politics got muddled and some of that has to do with Chadwick Boseman's character and without getting too much into it, Chadwick Boseman is presented, his character is presented as this ideal. He is both the the peaceful Malcolm, uh, Martin Luther King rather, and the kind of um, forceful Malcolm X. And I feel like by doing that you don't frame a side and it just feels like where am i supposed to go with that so are the bloods wrong for being angry at the u.s government and you know trying to find a solution or are they right like who it, the message gets muddled i also a kind of interesting angle is delroy lindo's character is framed as uh, having, he's admitted to voting for Trump, and he is, and no one really calls him on the kind of, the the reasons he gives for doing that, that he has been kind of abandoned by his country and left, no one calls out the hypocrisy to that, and in fact the only characters that really call out his jingoism or his uh, overzealous patriotism are effectively the villains or other like more arrogant more 
characters you were supposed to dislike more than you like Dora Lindo. And I think that does a disservice because those points aren't wrong. They're, you know, Trump has done damage to the country. He didn't fight in specifically Vietnam. And other countries have a right to point out the kind of damage he's doing. And you can't just wash that away by saying, oh, but the those are the villain characters coming at Delroy Lindo. Um, on a more personal note, I just don't like this trope that they have in the movie of a black father struggling to show love to a son. I kind of think that's, while it fits this movie specifically because they contextualize it in terms of uh, character's PTSD, I just am a little tired of it and it comes at making a younger black millennial like myself kind of the butt of jokes and it's a little tired um but those are kind of character and story elements and i think it in it would be hard to kind of flesh all of these out i think though specifically with in regards to delroy lindo's trump support i think that has to be someone other than the villain should take him to task for that and no one really does and they kind of gloss over it and it it's kind of just accepted and there are little consequence for it. Now, the film's two and a half hours, right? People should be prepared for that. Let me ask you this. Does Spike have a narrative style or is there something that's unique to his filmmaking that you notice? Put it. Let's do a taste test. If you had, uh, and if you, didn't, you hadn't seen them before or, or obviously didn't know what they were, if I gave you, say, 10 minutes of, of different filmmakers, different writer directors, and you had no idea who they were. Would you, do you think from, he has a particular style that you'd be able to pick him out? I think you could. I think Spike has, especially in movies, I think he had a personal hand in that the scripts were his. You can tell because they're always um, very strong themes the the african-american centric focus on it i think uh, visually he has a certain style and you can't quite put your finger on it but he does really good up close wide shots of characters that kind of zoom in on their face and expressions that um, was definitely present in the five bloods the way he splices in historical footage and quotes to kind of contextualize things i think are kind of unique to him and they're almost fourth wall breaking but also not because the the music of like marvin gay is used a lot and that is both diegetic and non-diegetic because it's the soundtrack but it's also what the characters are listening to but it's also like thematically on point so i think that's a a unique flair to him i'm glad you mentioned that i was going to ask you about the soundtrack what you thought of the soundtrack i think it was a very good way of setting the movie it kind of it, uh, it really frames the time period because there's some very distinct music for Vietnam and they um, and it was nice to get away from like the typical Vietnam soundtracks you you get that are you know for lack of a better term more mainstream or more uh, catered to the white experience and getting to the black experience by the use of Marvin Gaye and um, how how powerful that is and how it makes this movie feel familiar as a war movie but also unique and it's definitely got its own take on the war and its own kind of perspective 
I like that. I like that. Um, I like that outlook or that analysis of it. Overall, what is your opinion of the film? And let me ask you this: How many, how many, how many uh, oil cans would you give it? Now we got to let the audience know. Uh, we can't have inside jokes here. Uh, who or what is oil can? Uh, well, oil can is uh, a teddy bear I was given by an elderly woman who had gone to the church that my mom went to. Um, unfortunately, I don't remember her name. I'll have to get it. But she gave me this bear, and I still have this bear. It's uh, in my room, and this bear has been with me all over the world. Um, and I called it Oil Can. I, I think because Mom said I could name the bear whatever I wanted, and as a test, I said, all right, Oil Can. And for a reaction, I was five, maybe. Um, and that is what it's been. I would give it a three and a half to four stars. I hate doing stars and ratings because it locks you into, you give something three stars, then people do the math. And it's like, well, three out of five is a 60, so it's a failing grade. And No, and I think it, Delroy Lindo's performance and um, Clark Peters also plays a veteran. And he... Those two performances are incredibly strong, and they sell the emotion. And those moments when the when the movie is focused on them is incredibly strong. I think some of the kind of political points Spike tries to make, there's a dig at Rambo early on in the movie, and then the last act of the movie is almost beat for beat a Rambo movie, down to the, the enemies come, and it's just, it, it becomes Rambo. So that doesn't work, but I think the for the kind of when it's focused on the bloods and their struggles and experiences, I think that is the strength of it. So based on that, I would recommend people see it. Well, Parker, as always, it's been an absolute delight talking to you about films and the making of films, and, and um, you have such a passion for it. I always come away from these interviews. Uh, knowing something that I didn't know before I talked to you. And that's a testament to, to, again, to your passion and to how much you love film. So thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. We'll see you very, very soon. You have been listening to Second Acts. I'm Linwood Lawton. Second Acts is recorded and produced in the Macro Sound Studios in Union, New Jersey. You can hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And please stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll talk movies again next time.